You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 279. Hey, everybody. We are very excited. This is weird for us. We're recording at a different time on a different day. It's daytime. It's daytime. <laughs> it's earlier in the week, which means our what we've been playing isn't necessarily shorter. But that's because we've got some exciting stuff that we'll probably talk about next week. Anyway, hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. <laughs> As always, I'm your host, Andrew. And I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anita. That's me. <laughs> So, 279, as luck would have it, I have a fact about the episode number this week. All right, tell me what it is. Okay, so, do you know the relevance of the number 279 when it comes to lawmaking? No, because if I did, maybe I would have jumped in with a fact first. Okay. There's been a lot of political wrangling going on over the last few years. There's you may be aware. always political wrangling. <laughs> this is just a, a quick little federal government factoid for you. How many people are in the House of Representatives? 435 okay which means how many people are needed how many yays or however they calculate this stuff are needed to approve a bill in the house uh i assume it's it has to be just over 50 percent, right so then it would be 218 correct okay so 218 we're gonna put that number aside how many senators are there in the senate there's 100 how many votes are there to approve a bill in the senate normally once again i think it's just over 50 percent. so 51 so technically that is true. However, there's this thing called cloture. Now you might not have heard of cloture, but you've heard of the filibuster. Mm-hmm. So in 1975, the Senate reduced the number of votes required for cloture from two thirds to three fifths. So what that basically means, so three fifths of 100 is 60. So basically what that means is 60 senators have to agree to stop debate and bring a bill to vote. And if even one senator doesn't want to stop debate, they can keep talking, which is the filibuster. So you have 218 people in the House. You need 60 people in the Senate to agree that you're going to stop debating and actually vote, even though you only actually need 51 to pass. You need 60 to get there. Okay. And you need one person to sign the bill, namely the president. Uh, Yes. So if you add up 218... 60 and one you get 279 it takes 279 people's agreement or tacit agreement to actually make a bill become a law all right it took a little while but you got there well i, I mean all the yeah. pieces were interesting and, I, yeah. and you know relevant so sure. anyway that's our little factoid this week for our episode number 279 of course we also have a fact provided to us by our sponsor mm-hmm. did you know that most people pay down debt, or pay for mid-sized goals, or save their tax refunds. Many financial experts out there tell you not to get a refund because you're giving Uncle Sam an interest-free loan. First Move disagrees. If you're more likely to use your refund to save or pay down debt than you would if you got an extra $50 a month, why not let Uncle Sam have it for a few months? Then you get it all at once and make better choices. You know, I actually get that. In fact, we've gotten a refund in years past, and we've used it to do things like pay off our car 
And I have to admit that if it was up to me, like every month, I might not put a little extra towards that car loan so that after that year is over, you know, we, we would have finished paying for it. So, I mean, it makes sense. If you want to talk to First Move about other habits that you can build to take the next step towards your goals, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to schedule a call. Thanks so much to First Move for sponsoring the show. All right, so we're going to change it up a little bit this week. So this year, we're going to add a new segment to the show, which we'll do once a month, called The Monthly Report. And since we're recording earlier, we have less games to talk about that we've been playing in this last week, and it's the first podcast of February. It is. It seems like the right time to introduce this. So The Monthly Report is going to be kind of a, a like a month-by-month report of... Uh, our gaming in summary and you know we're not going to roll up the year in january because that would be silly but we're going to talk about kind of our games in january and i will compare you will have played a lot more than me because your life is more fun than mine (laughs) (laughs) maybe Uh, but you know it's just another thing that we can maybe talk about and then encourage other people to share their monthly reports in uh, the family gamers community if you do something like use bg sats which is what we do yeah so basically this is for all of you nerds like us who are interested in statistics around board game plays and you can mercilessly mock me for being able to have played more games than me that's a thing i'm okay with that I try not to. I, I meant you like the, the you know, the royal oh, you, okay. like anyone out there. Okay. All right. So January, uh, I have 29 plays of 17 unique games in January with an H index of three. H index, for those who don't know, is a number of games that you have also played that many times. Yes. Right. So my H index is three, which means there are three games that I have played at least three times. Now, there, that might mean that there's either games that I've played more than three times or more games that I have played three times, yes. but that intersection is three. Yeah, it's you have at least three games that you have played at least three yep. times. So my three games, uh, not a surprise because you will have heard about them plenty of times on the show, are Rolled West, Royal Visit, which we picked up like a week and a half ago. <laughs> or, well, I mean, I gave it to you for your birthday, but we didn't open it for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and Tapple, because we played just a ton of Tapple one time. Uh, pretty much, yeah. I mean, we played it, I guess, a couple more times also, but it, but was, it was that a, one day that we just played a ton of tap. It, it was over game. the course of about a week. We just played it a ton. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So that is it. And again, no roll-up since it's January, but that is my monthly report. Okay. Well, I can see from that that you are so close to your goal of having played one game a day. I mean, I'll get there. I have a feeling we're going to play a lot of board games this weekend. Yeah, I think you'll catch up this weekend. Yes. So I have, in January, 57 plays... Of 26 unique games <laughs> with an H index of four. There are actually five games that I played at least four times. Unsurprisingly, this includes Rolled West, Royal Visit, and Tapple. Yeah, so basically every time I played them, you are also playing them with me. Just about. I think you showed our son Royal Visit without me, but that's about it. That's true. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. However, in that list, I also have Unmatched. We've been playing mm-hmm. a ton of Unmatched yes, Specifically with the Battle of Legends Volume 2 mm-hmm. set, but mm-hmm. mixing other pieces in as well. Yep. And 60 Second City. <sighs> I mean, the game takes 10 minutes. Yeah, it's a good game. It's fun. So, yeah, that's what I've been playing a lot of in January. <laughs> Some of those I anticipate continuing to play a lot of. 
we got our board game mosaic calendar. We did. And in the back, it has a space for a 10 by 10 Which, I with mean, stickers. It's a board game calendar. If it didn't have a space for a 10 by 10, like, Katsia, what are you doing? But it does. But with, with meeple stickers yes. to put on it. Yes. And so we convinced our kids that we are going to try to do a family 10 by 10. Mm-hmm. There are five people in our family. So each person picked two games to add to the list. Did we put Royal Visit on the list? Because... <laughs> We're halfway done. <laughs> you you did put Royal Visit on the right, list. That was one of your excellent. two choices. Well, yes. I remember we've done these in the past, and I've put you know bigger games on and been like, this was really stupid. Yeah, so our children also tended a little bit towards the bigger, heavier games, and so I was like, I'm going to pick games that take 20 minutes or less. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's the, I mean, if you're left brain like us, like that's the strategy that, that wins the 10 by 10. <laughs> well, for me, it's not so much about winning. It's just about kind of being realistic like there's... I, I know i know i know i'm not really trying to min max the 10 by 10 but <laughs> yes like, you are oh, stop yes oh, you stop. are at least i'm not min maxing wordle <laughs> but one of the games i put on there was draftosaurus which i can definitely see our family playing 10 times over the course of a year mm-hmm. yep we also broke it down for our kids to help them better understand that think about it there are 52 weeks in a year and 100 games on a 10 by 10. Well, 100 plays on a 10 by 10, which means we need to average two games off the list every week. Right. We actually need to average slightly more than that because we didn't start our 10 by 10 until the last week of January. Yeah, but, but again, with, you know, with close a lot enough. of these easier ones, I feel like it's not going to be that hard. But we'll get there. We'll figure it out. You know, And it's also, it's like if anybody in the family plays the game, it can be counted towards I, pretty the much, yeah. We're pretty loose on that part of it, I, so. I think when it's just you and me, we're not sticking them on there, but if any child is involved. uh, I mean, I'm okay with, we're part of the family. I mean, I know. I mean, we would only put it on once. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, you know, just a little insight into things our family is trying to do a little bit differently this year. For me, this is encouraging me to get the kids to to start games more often rather than just me always being pushing. Hey, let's play a game. Hey, let's play a game. Hey, let's play yeah. uh, Blah, 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 blah. All that stuff. They have a little bit more investment in it because it's games they chose mm-hmm. and it's not just the constant deluge of, hey, you need to play this review game with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so that's the monthly report. Uh, we would love to hear from you, and we'll talk about the places that you can you know, share some of this stuff with us about your monthly report. If you use BG Stats, you can go into Insights, and then you can just pick the month, and you're able to put all that stuff in there. The best place is the community, thefamilygamers.com forward slash community brings you right in there. And yes, we would love to hear what your monthly reports look like. All right. So let's talk about games that we have been playing. Really quickly, more Royal Visit. More unmatched. I actually had never played with Beowulf before, and I played against Claire. It was Beowulf versus uh, Little Red, Red. because that's basically the only character she ever plays, and I was crushing her until somehow she beat me. It just, like, happened at the end. I I don't know. It wasn't... She didn't do a really good job with the basket, so... I don't know. It was weird. She is getting very good at kind of holding out with Little Red and the Huntsman, a key thing for her has been learning to use the Huntsman effectively because he's a ranged character. And if you're used to doing melee all the time, you throw a ranged character in there and be like, oh, and now they're dead. So she's doing a better job keeping him back and, you know, taking occasional pot shots. Well, I actually killed off the Huntsman really quickly because there's a Beowulf card that uh, if you meet the conditions on the card and it's, you're attacking a sidekick, the sidekick just dies. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's brutal. And so, like, the Huntsman had, like, nine health, and I was like, he is dead. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, it was it was nasty. Um, so, I don't know. Whatever. I, I, I kind of wanted a rematch, but we didn't have time at that point. Uh, the other game that I had a chance to play, I would say maybe about a quarter of a game of it, because we were like, we are going to get something in to figure some of this game out, was Mall Peak. I am over the moon excited about Mall Peak coming in. This game is coming to Kickstarter next month. Um, for folks who follow us on social media, you probably have already seen Andrew's excited <laughs> face with the Mall Peak box or I mean, Asher other pictures just that he about took. wet his pants with excitement when this game came in. Let's be clear here. So Mall Peak is the standalone sequel to Skull Hollow, which is a two-player asymmetric game that we picked up a while ago at this point. It's very, very neat. Skull Hollow, you have the Foxen clan, which are a clan of like Fox, tiny little fox, fox people. people and you have these giant hulking beasts and one player plays as one of the beasts there's like four or five in the box i think four, four. and then the other player plays as the foxen which are this clan of foxes and in the game you literally jump onto the beast almost like uh like god of war style or like shadow of colossus style to use some video game references um, and run around and damage the Pikmin monster. style as well. Sure, Pikmin <laughs> style. Yeah, yeah. If you're more of a N- Nintendo player, um, and and it's just like it's such a really cool idea, and it really feels very video gamey because it's like, oh, now we're on this alternate board, and there's like multiple board, and it's just like it's so neat and fun, and the art style reminds me a lot. I always say this of Disney's Robin Hood. Yes. Um, and so we just absolutely adore that game, and Mall Peak is the sequel. It finally is coming to Kickstarter this year by Pencil First Games. And in this one, there's, I think, the Grizzer clan. You're basically bears. But you also have, like, spirit companions, so that's a little bit different. And there's this cool board from which you regularly, like, summon uh, all the different kinds of bears that can then be in your clan if you're the, the bear clan or whatever. And I was, I think his name's Saboso, which is this giant ice creature it's kind of like an ice theme sure. right and this giant ice creature and what you basically need to do is trap grizzer uh bears in the chest of it's like he's got like a chest prison like in himself okay and uh, i haven't seen anything yet about how to free someone from the, the chest so like the first guy that i trapped was the chieftain obviously yeah um but i, I was definitely it felt like I was on the course to losing <laughs> because the only way you can trap someone is by putting like these shiver tokens on them first. So you have to frost them to put shiver tokens on them and then you need to move to them and then you need to trap them. So there's like a multi-step process. Sure, sure. To, but one of the cool things about Skulk Hollow and Mall Peak is that every one of these large creatures has an asymmetric goal that is not just destroy the clan. Right. And so, uh, Saboso's goal is to trap four of these bears in his chest. Okay. And so that's kind of what, you know, you're trying to do. But again, there's this multi-step process. Right. And one of the other things that's really, really cool about this is that when you are the small clan trying to defeat the monster, you actually, when you jump on the monster and attack him, are attacking, like, the abilities. Yes. Um, yes. Which is I really, really, really like neat. That. So, like, there's a... Ability, it's not trample, it's like stomp or something, some word like that. But if you, as the the bear clan, if you damage both of the legs, they can't do that anymore. Right. So it just, it's an ability that you no longer can use. That for me is part of what makes this so interesting as an asymmetric game 
that's also really approachable for kids on the younger end. Probably not younger than about eight, Mm -hmm. but on the younger end. Because it's so intuitive. If I attack this part of the beast, the guardian, then he can't do that thing to me anymore. Well, I mean, if you think about it, and it's it, like... And that goes with the video gamey feeling like you're talking totally, about. Oh, but totally. it also gives you a choice that matters. It's not like Pikmin, where you're literally just throwing guys at and the like big monster, and you're Pikmin just arms. like, I don't <laughs> I don't care where you hit him, just hit him. Right. Well, and if you think about it, it like, it, it makes organic sense. So you have, a, you have a very large creature that's coming and is doing a thing that is affecting your people badly. Yeah. And they keep doing that thing. And so what's the response of your people? Stop the creature from being able to do that thing. Right. Because the idea of like, well, we're going to take this creature down. That feels too big. So being able to break <laughs> and you're it not Lilliputians, right? You're not just tying Gulliver down. Right. You're actually trying to stop them from doing something. Right. Well, and so you've got that choice there of maybe I'd rather just attack him as quickly as possible, or maybe I want to take that extra turn to, you know, hop up to his hands because he's doing way more damage right now with his hands than he is with his feet. I also really like the idea because if you think about some of these games, right? Like we were just talking about Unmatched, which I love Unmatched. Like, let me be crystal clear here. But like, (laughs) it doesn't really make sense if you have a character who has like, say, 17 health and they're at one to be like, I'm going to drop an attack six on you. Like, it doesn't, ma- like, it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. I'm beaten and bruised and battered and about to die, but no, I'm totally going to turn around and lop your head off. Like, I'm not yeah. going to have the ability to do that. Yeah. And so when you're actually tactically removing the ability for something to attack, and that's part of how you defeat it, mm-hmm. like, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I agree. So I really, really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. There's, like I said, there's another four monsters in the Malpeak box along with this different clan which is totally different and there are ways in which you can actually combine the two sets to play at three or four players which I'm really super excited that about. That sounds cool. Anybody who has played Skull Hollow or seen it before the production quality is right up there. This is a prototype technically but I mean it might as well be a finished copy. I mean it's it's perfect. Like it it it's it's done. The art is done. There's no filler stuff. Nothing that I've seen in any way. In the same way there's the boxes with like special icon stuff mm-hmm, and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just it's fantastic. I'm so so happy to play this game. I'm so excited for it and I can't wait to play it more this weekend. All right. Well, I think that's it for the first half of our show. In the second half, we're going to be talking beyond board games this week. Yes, we are. We are going to be talking to Mark Spagnolo, the Wood Whisperer. We recorded this interview a little bit before Christmas, but I have been following Mark for 15 years almost (laughs) on the internet. And he's just a, a, a super nice guy, really funny videos, really approachable stuff. Really, really enjoy it. And we were delighted to be able to have him on the show. So you're going to hear that second half of the show. We'll be right back. Oh, no. There's monsters in the attic. Thankfully, they seem friendly. But they're also hungry. Very hungry. They seem to eat just about anything. But what they really like is food that matches the color of their fur. Mmm, yummy, yummy. <laughs> this is a snap review for Yummy, Yummy Monster Tummy. 
<laughs> yummy Yummy Monster Tummy, say that four times fast, <laughs> is a cooperative card game of color matching from Andreas Wild and published by Lucky Duck Games as part of their Lucky Duck Kids line. It includes a free mobile app, and it, it really is necessary to play the game. A game plays in about 20 minutes and is appropriate for ages 6+. plus. So let's talk about the art in Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy. Well, it's adorable. It's super cute. Friendly monsters and baby dragons populate all kinds of different environments in the app, such as an attic, a forest, and a scrapyard. The cards themselves are bold and bright, with limited iconography that's really easy to understand. Okay, so Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy is super cute, but how does the game actually play? Well, after downloading the app from the Apple or Google app stores, you'll start to explore Grandpa's attic and meet the monsters. Choose your difficulty setting and the number of players, and the app will instruct you how many cards each player should start with. For each monster, every player will feed them exactly one object card by holding it so the QR code on the back can be scanned. After the monster has enough items, the app will combine all the colors together and give you a rating for how close it is to the monster's fur color. A built-in tutorial will help you learn how to play and introduce new concepts like vitamins and new characters like rabbits and dragons. Progress through the various locations in the game with new challenges at each stop. So, <laughs> yummy, yummy monster tummy. What did we expect from this game? Well, color matching is a perfect mechanism to play games with younger kids. And our kids love augmented reality games and app games. Mm -hmm. So after talking with Vince Vergenjean from Lucky Duck, you can see that podcast at thefamilygamers.com, we were super excited to put Yummy Yummy Monster Tommy through its paces. But there were also some things that surprised us about this game. Okay, first of all, this is a fun <laughs> game even with only adults playing. And the hard difficulty setting it is actually pretty hard. You'll need to really work together to match colors and save special tools, like candy, to use when one or more players can't match. I mean, when your monster is green and you have grandpa's teeth and a rocking horse, what are you gonna do? There is a bit more reading than I expected from a game that's rated as ages six and up. I think younger kids certainly can play this game, although they may not have the patience for waiting for every player to scan a QR code. So do we recommend Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy? Well, not everyone will love this game. You will spend as much time looking at the screen as you do looking at your cards. So parents will want to avoid this game if they're limiting screen time. Unless this is a screen time that you want your kids to be playing. Older kids may also be turned off by the theme. But if they try it, like us, we're old kids, basically, they'll, they'll be hooked. And unlike other app-driven games we've tried, there's no solo mode in Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy. It really is designed to be a cooperative endeavor for a small group of kids. Or adults. Or big kids. <laughs> <laughs> but there really is nothing like this game on the market. It is an absolute blast. It is super fun to play. So, Anitra, what are we going to rate Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy? We're going to give it four monsters out of five. And that's Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy in, in a snap. snap. Okay, and we are back from our break. Uh, this is going to be another episode of Beyond Board Games, which I'm super excited. I, You're so excited. I, am, I need to rein myself in for this one because this I've been looking forward to this one for like a month now. 
All right. So this week on the show, um, we get to reach way back into my internet archives. Yes. And we get to talk to Mark Spagnola, the Wood Whisperer. How you doing, Mark? Good. How's it going, guys? It's going great. I'm going to out Andrew here that he's been listening to Mark on the Wood Whisperer for, I think, 15 years. Mark, I've known you longer than I've known my kids. So. Oh, man, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing it for a long time. So yeah. some, some people have been with us since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I kind of judge the age of a Wood Whisperer video depending on how many tattoos Mark has on his arms. That's pretty tattoos. Much my gauge. There's gray hair. There's there's quite a few <laughs> gauges you could use. The number of kids running around. Right, right. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, so you know we've kind of been joking about this already. Um, I've been following you since. Yeah, I, I did. I actually looked up the the first video that I ever saw of yours, which was spring of two thousand seven. Ooh, yeah, um, that's so, early. Yeah, it was it was a while ago. So, okay. Who, so who, who are you? Like, uh, what is the whisper? Tell, tell our listeners about kind of like what it is that you do. Sure. I build furniture and I try to teach people how to do the same furniture making and woodworking is a, is a wonderful hobby. It's a great career if you want, I mean, difficult, but a gratifying career if you want to go down that route. Uh, but it's, it's something that I love to do. And I think it's infectious. It's uh, something that allows, especially a lot of people who are in the tech fields, uh, doing things with like intangibles all day long, they get to go in the shop and actually build things with their hands. It's uh, it's very gratifying. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. would be interested in it. It's a, it's a great way to uh, relieve some stress. So I do all of that at thewoodwhisperer.com. And uh, I've been doing it, as as we mentioned, uh, for about 15 years now. One of the things I really, really love about your channel is that, uh, and you kind of alluded to some of it with the tech stuff, like you're, you're a woodworker, but you're also kind of a nerd. Um, yeah. Like I love, you've got Deadpool hanging on your tool wall. Um, I notice him every single time. I mean, you've made arcade cabinets, you wear video game t-shirts. I, when I actually got a chance to meet you once and I was wearing a Zelda shirt and you were like, oh, cool, Zelda. And I was <laughs> nice. like, y- y- you recognize the crest of Hyrule. You're good in my book, man. Like, yeah, it's yeah. fine. Uh, <laughs> the number of times that Andrew calls me over, it's like, look, look at this thing on Mark. This cool like, thing Mark did. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We are definitely a, a very geeky family. have been uh, video gamers, you know, forever. Uh, some, some tabletop gaming here and there. And gaming is a big part of uh, our family dynamic. So uh, both my wife and I game a lot and we've passed that on to our kids. As well, you should. I will also out <laughs> Andrew in that he he bought the plans to make a gaming dining room table. Oh, I was going to talk oh, about the dining room the gaming table. I was going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, we'll get yeah. well. You know, we'll talk about that now. Was okay. there like an impetus to that table? Like where? I mean, was it the whole geek chic thing that was big for a while? Uh, like where did that come from as an idea? Um, I think it was mostly just we wanted one. And I, you know, Geek Chic was out at the time, uh, certainly out. And I think we even went to one of, uh, what was it? It might have been a Comic-Con here in, uh, actually in Arizona at the time in Phoenix. And I think we saw some of their stuff in person. And that might have just inspired me at that point to go home and say, well, let me build one that's a little bit more basic, a little simpler, uh, but more fine furniture that, you know, sort of leaning on the fine furniture side of things. Basically, I wanted something that looked like it was a dining table, but oh, it has this other feature. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what brought mm-hmm. us down that path. We certainly did not want to, you know, compete with what Geek Chic was doing. <laughs> Well, and you don't because what you sell are the plans to make it yourself. Well, it's True, hold on. Yeah. It, go, it goes beyond the plans. Um, the so videos and the I, I am, all the I things am a you need multiple project yourself. owner in the Wood Whisperer <laughs> Guild. Okay. So let's talk about that for a minute. So yeah. the, there's the woodwhisperer.com where you can go and, and there's a ton of stuff. Um, I, I, is it 
officially a podcast or do I just subscribe to some video feed? I don't even know what it is, but there's lots of stuff out there. But the Guild is something a little different. Yeah, the Guild is a place where, you know, years ago, I would say maybe not the full 15 years ago, but maybe like 12 years ago, we decided that sponsorships are really difficult to maintain. Uh, We don't want our business completely run off of the goodwill of companies, you know, uh, supporting us. So we wanted to do something where we could directly um, deal with customers. Um, And that's where the Guild came from. It was a way for us to teach, you know, high level projects with as much detail as we could possibly pack into videos with great detailed plans to walk people step-by-step through an entire project. So instead of just a quick five-minute fast-forwarded video on YouTube and then a set of measurements, this is like, a it's, we call them courses. These are courses that teach you how to build this entire project from start to finish. Um, so that's what the Guild is. It's basically an a la carte sort of thing. But when you buy a project, you become a member and you're a member for life. And any of the benefits that come with that, you just get those for, for life by buying a single project. Uh, and we have a lot of guest instructors now. It's grown well beyond just myself. We have great instructors that come in and teach their unique way of woodworking and the unique furniture that they build. Um, and uh, you could just kind of pick what you want to watch and uh, buy as you go. So, yeah, pretty cool stuff. Well, I, I, you know, I love how this whole thing is is basically a family endeavor. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you have, you have your wife on some videos sometimes. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned before yesterday, I went back uh, to look at the first videos of yours that I ever saw. And one of them was uh, a video where uh, <laughs> you were kind of recounting like the first time you ever went to a lumber yard or whatever. Yeah. And, and Nicole <laughs> played the part of the um, uh, the clerk or whatever. Yeah, the lumber um, yard girl. Oh, my goodness gracious. So I, I say that to say that, you know, Mark, you, you're you're hilarious and engaging. And when I sit down to watch a woodworking video on my television, my kids actually come and sit and watch, too. That's At least awesome. for a little while. Um, yeah. Yeah. Our seven-year-old, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Our seven-year-old is riveted from start to finish because I can wow. show him a picture and be like, this is the thing that he's going to make by the end. And he's like, what? Yeah. What, how is that even possible? And I, and I say all that to kind of get into the next step, which is bring, I mean, your shop is, it's not what I have in my garage. You know, you have a legit woodworking shop and obviously you do a lot of woodworking professionally. How do you get the kids involved in woodworking and, and what does that process look like? And then obviously the follow-up question to that is what if you're, you know, a, a weekend warrior kind of person like me, how would you recommend getting kids involved in this? So it really does become a family thing. Yeah. I mean, my kids are six and 10 and what I found to be the most useful was to sort of temper my expectations. (laughs) So (laughs) the, uh, the concept of like, you know, something you might see in a book somewhere of the, the dad taking his kids into the shop and together we're going to build this wonderful thing. Well, kids, especially nowadays, kids are impatient. You know, they like video games, they like fast paced Uh, results-oriented sort of experiences. And uh, something as slow and methodical as woodworking may not jive with with your kids. So I think if you have these expectations of this experience that you've built up in your brain, it may not go that way. Um, So the few times that I have had the kids in the shop, a lot of times I will do tons of prep work. And really, if all they're doing is gluing parts together and then they get to paint this thing, to them, they've gone through this experience. And I think that's the key. Yeah. If you, you put too much on them, they could lose interest and sour the experience. But if you make it like their actual, you know, what they actually have to do in the shop becomes a very focused, simple thing that they could wrap their brains around. And they walk away going, 
oh, that was a great experience in dad's shop. I want to do that again. Even though the reality was you did all the woodworking, you did all this stuff ahead of time, but you prepped this great experience. What I would recommend people do is try to think in terms of like, uh, have you guys seen the um, uh, Home Depot and Lowe's woodworking mm-hmm. kits I, I was going to say the, the Home Depot kids workshop. Yeah, you show yeah up on exactly Saturday. like yeah. that. So, like so that. now ours, I don't know if it's like this nationwide, uh, but because of COVID, they stopped doing them. But they still, I think it's the first weekend of every month. If you go there, you can get one of the kits and you could take them home. Yes. And I will do mm-hmm. that. I'll take those kits. I'll put the kids in the shop on a, a table out there, give them a couple of hammers. And that experience with this sort of prepped kit to them, they build something. And I think that's really the key. This isn't about your gratification. It's about the kids really having a positive experience. And even if it's with this kit that came from Home Depot, that's still worthwhile for them. And I think that will lead as they get older into more substantial things where they come in and say, hey, can you teach me how to do this? And you're actually now doing that thing you hoped you could do. It just may not happen as early as you want it to. So um, so uh, yeah, I don't mean to be negative about it, but I do think you have to temper your expectations, be realistic about it and prepare. You really got to prepare and make sure you have their whole experience, uh, sort of guided, um, so that it's fun, it's quick and you know, they're going to lose interest quickly. So you don't want them to, you know, <laughs> stop midway, right? Uh, don't mm-hmm. put something that has a 45 minute break in it. Like you're waiting for something to dry or whatever, because you may not get them back in the shop. <laughs> So that that's a really yeah. good piece of insight right there. This is not too dissimilar, I guess, from like reading the rules of the board game before you sit down to play the board game. Oh yeah. I mean <laughs> so you have it exp- they tune it out together. Right. Absolutely. This question's for me, but I'm gonna ask it because I can. Uh what what is a f- your favorite piece of furniture that you've ever built? You know, that's something that kind of changes over time. Um I tend to obsess about whatever I'm currently working on. So there may be pieces of furniture that become meaningful because of their usage. Like uh, let's say I build a rocking chair and my wife uses it to nurse our children in. That will always have a special place in my heart. But when it comes to the woodworking side of things, I tend to obsess about whatever the current project is uh, and that becomes my current favorite. But, you know, I've got a desk that I'm sitting at right now, a big executive desk that I built. That's one of my favorite pieces, but it's like a utility item. I use it every mm-hmm. day. Um, and mm-hmm. I think the things that that I use the most are the things that I tend to appreciate the most. So our, our chairs, our dining chairs, dining table, kitchen table, these are all utility items. And I think that's that's the ones I like the most. Yeah, I, uh, the the dining chair project is one that I've purchased, but I'm kind of terrified mm-hmm. to start through that one. So. <laughs> Even That's though the problem. It's so like a, chairs are very difficult and you build one yeah. and it's like, oh, that was fantastic. And you go, well, now I got to do five more. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's right, a big ass. Right, yeah. Right. Both, yes. both chairs and table uh, concern me because I'm like, oh man, we are not going to park a car in our garage for like eight months. <laughs> maybe it's time consuming. Yeah. yeah it, it's repetitive yeah. and time consuming. All right. For someone a little bit older, so a a teenager or an adult, if they're interested in woodworking but have never done any before, Mm -hmm. uh, where would you recommend that they start? Especially if they're looking towards like, oh, well, someday this might be fun as a family activity. Yeah. But I need to know what I'm doing first. Sure, sure. I think, well, I mean, we we live in an age of information, you know, good and bad information. So if you are able to find reliable sources of information, there are no shortage. There's really no shortage of uh, tutorials 
available on YouTube that you could watch people build stuff. And I think a, a great place to start is with your interests. So if you have a personal interest in cooking, then you might look into kitchen items like cutting boards, uh, very simple mm-hmm. cutting boards. It's one of the best beginner projects you could possibly do with an item that you could immediately use when you're done, you know, and you could use it every night when you cook dinner. So that's, that's always cool. Yep. Um, you know, if you're gamers, you want to make something like a, a dice tray or a dice tower. There's all kinds of basic uh, gaming accessories that you could build to help facilitate a gaming night. You know, so I think that's really the best way to do it because now you're building something you actually want. So you could, you know, appreciate the utility of what woodworking can do for you. And if you're uh, if you're interested in the thing you're making, you have more uh, invested in that process uh, and you could just do a very basic version of that thing and, you know, start to pick up the basics of woodworking at the same time. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. All right. Well, as we mentioned, this is a board game podcast, and you already talked about dice towers and gaming tables and things like that. So we've got to ask, what kind of board games do you have kicking around? What do you like to play with your wife? What do you like to play with your kids? Or both at the or same both. time. You know, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So so board games are a little bit tricky. Again, with the, the kids' age you know, and, and level of interest, sometimes the board games just get too complicated. So we will, oh, yeah. I mean, we've in our dining room, we have two, the people who lived here before us were very, they were much more fancy than we, we are. So <laughs> there's these two like China hutches that are built in, beautiful with glass mm-hmm, doors mm-hmm. and really, really nice lights on the inside. It's stacked from top to bottom with board games. <laughs> it's Fantastic. that fine awesome. China. <laughs> it looks like your racks behind you guys. So yeah, my wife, Nicole, is big on purchasing a bunch of games and we just try a bunch of different things. So I think with my youngest, it's always, you know, we play things as simple as like bingo. She loves this bingo set that we have. And I guess, I don't know if does that qualify as a board game, but sure, um, she just, whatever. she likes the cage that rotates the balls and picks the numbers. So that's something that we'll even do like while we're eating dinner. Sometimes uh, we'll pull that out and everybody will have a bingo card and, and we'll play that as we do it. But I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually be spacing on all the names of these things because I'm kind of <laughs> my involvement is like in and out. But with the kid, it's always you know just the little kids games where we're matching colors or there's little apples that have to go into a tree. One one thing that we've started to do with our son, who's now ten, um, it's really fun when they get a little bit older and they can start to understand these games a little bit better. Um, yeah. We'll play Clue. Clue oh, is nice. a super fun game that he has managed to grasp you know, the concept of, and my, my six-year-old doesn't quite get it, but, um, <laughs> so we have played a number of games of just classic clue games with the kids, which is, is super fun. And being video game nerds, a lot of times, if we, as a family gravitate to something, uh, it tends to be video game related and games that kind of, they remind me a little bit of, uh, you know, board games and their simplicity and essence, but you can do things you can't do with board games is sure. the series of Jackbox games. Oh, you guys oh yeah, we love that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we are we are hooked on Jackbox games and we've got them all and uh, we have friends over. That's what we're doing. And uh, again, with the littlest one, it's it's a little bit tricky sometimes. Um, but man, what a great, fun family night of gaming is to, to sit mm-hmm. on the couch and actually everybody's got their little device and we're drawing pictures and doing mm-hmm, trivia mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that's honestly, if we're going to play a game as a family, it's probably going nice. to be a Jackbox game. Nice. All right. Nice. Well, I'll give you two. Um, this is for free. Uh, so <laughs> a, company, <laughs> a company called The Op a few years ago released a... Uh, it's it's Clue, but it's Dungeons and Dragons themed Clue Ooh, with nice. actual like like narrative and story. So if yeah. if your if your son 
gets the mechanics of Clue, mm-hmm. that might be something that might be up your alley as well. Oh, um, and a game that we've been talking about a lot lately, you knew this was coming up. I did. Um, is a game called Super Mega Lucky Box. Now, this is a okay. game that was published by a company called GameRight, which you've probably heard of, and you probably own some GameRight games, even okay. if you don't know it. It's like 15 bucks, and it is, it's what's called a flip and write game. So you're, instead of, you know, bingo balls coming out of a bingo thing, you're flipping a card over, and you're like, oh, okay. that's the number that we all write on our cards. But the primary mechanic of that game is bingo, too. Um, oh. it, it might be a little bit more compli- complicated, but our seven-year-old understands how to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's definitely something that you could look into. Yeah, anything it's, made by GameRight. It's writers. bingo, but we're, we're getting um, – it's a three-by-three three grid. So getting three in a row then gives you some kind of a bonus, either more points for the end of the game or it gives you a bonus of, oh, hey, now you can cross off this other number somewhere else. So you okay. can combo these together and be like, oh, well, now I get to cross off a four and then I get to cross off an eight right. and that lets me cross off another four. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. So you can yeah. play it like deeply strategically or you can be like, awesome, I get to cross out a number. You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. super um, fun. It, it, it's super approachable. Same kind of cool. thing. Very, very easy to get into. Those are two games that based on what you were saying might fit your family. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds great. Always looking for suggestions. So... All right. Well, listen, uh, Mark, I really appreciate you uh, carving some time out of your day. Ha ha. Working joke. (laughs) Pun intended. Anyway, (laughs) to just spend a couple of minutes with us. Um, We've kind of mentioned it, the woodwhisperer.com, woodwhispererguild.com. Where can people find some of your stuff? Um, Because I do recommend, even if you're not a woodworker, it's funny. uh, It's entertaining. I think we, we all have like the picture of Norm in our head when I was we're yeah. working. I, I grew up watching the new Yankee workshop. Yeah, and we all love Better Norms. But, Norm's the but best, you're not yeah. Norm. You're a you're a different different kind of cat. Um and, I am not and normal, stuff, that's for sure. <laughs> I think your stuff is, is just really entertaining to to watch and listen to. Uh so where can okay. people find you online? Yeah, I mean primarily YouTube. Everybody's you know, if it's video, it's on YouTube and we're there too. Um so just look us up, the Wood Whisperer, and we've got, you know, all fifteen years of content out there and and still plugging away trying to teach people how to do woodworking and maybe maybe make them laugh if we can (laughs) and we were talking about this before we started recording but especially recently you've been doing a lot of like kind of intro level stuff and like Mm -hmm. here's you know five ways to do this or do that or or whatever you've got a couple books too i have Mm -hmm. probably i think i think i have have some of those yeah Uh, (laughs) i think i have all of them Uh, (laughs) awesome um which again are very very you know um i think Hybrid woodworking is is a, a great kind of entry level thing that talks about both hand tools and power tools and and the mm-hmm. intersection of both of those. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great entry level kind of thing as well. Um, so I, I really I really like the level that you're at right now because I wish that I could be doing more and I'm not. So getting yeah. to see those quick like four or five minute hits, or even when you're recutting something that was longer into something shorter, so it's just a little bit more consumable in 2021. Yeah. It's uh, it's a lot of really great stuff. So I recommend people go out and uh, and take a look. Appreciate that. Thank you. Well, we are big fans of the Wood Whisperer, but we should also tell people where to find us online. Yeah. So um, Mark and others, uh, <laughs> if you'd like to find us on the internet, you can find us on all social media at Family Gamers AA. Uh, we keep the handle pretty much everywhere. AA for Andrew and Anitra. Yep. Uh, or you can join the community. The easiest way to get there is go to thefamilygamers.com slash community that'll redirect you right over to facebook you can find everything that we've done for the last six years on the <laughs> 
Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all mm-hmm. the places. Last but not least, The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks so much to First Move for sponsoring the show. And Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you. And just talking for 20 minutes about uh, woodworking and, and just uh, board games and nerdy fun stuff. stuff. Board game nerdy <laughs> stuff. I like it. I like it oh, of course. It was a pleasure to be here. And thanks for having me, guys. All right. Well, Anitra, I think that's going to be it for us this week. So until next week, everybody, play games with your kids. kids.